0: Welcome to Message Received. In this longer episode, Tim chats to Sam Allen, founder and CEO of conferencemc.com. Sam comes with a wealth of knowledge in the events industry, and she shares with Tim why this space is so special. Welcome, everyone, to Message Received. I'm your host, Tim Ferguson, and I'm so thrilled to have Sam Allen currently running conferencemcs.com, co-founder. I'm going to let Sam introduce herself. Welcome to Message Received, Sam.
1: Thank you for having me on, Tim. My name is Sam Allen, and as you alluded to, I am the founder and CEO of conferencemcs.com, the newest and the most innovative agency that's out there at the moment, solely focused on a global network of professional conference MCs and facilitators. We'll talk about that later. I've Been in the industry for about 20 years, I was counting just now before we started speaking. My background comes in event management, through to moving into the world of big venues, uh, running big sales teams in incredible places like Twickenham, uh, the Barbican Centre here in London, and the SEC SECC before it became the Scottish Event Campus. Then, yeah, the story then moves into how I got to, to do what I do today.
0: Yeah, so before we get to that part, to the kind of... Uh... Taking a stage focused role in the event world. Tell us just a little bit more. I was curious. I looked and noticed that you spent two years as president of MPI, Meeting Professionals International, and that you were working in the UK chapter prior to that. And everyone in our industry, the events and meetings industry knows about MPI great organization and just gives you access to so many event professionals and so many issues within the event industry. So for those who only maybe experience events or some of our listeners are uh, people who might be responsible for managing an event for the first time, if you had to give someone a, a picture of what makes the event industry special, what is interesting about it, why have you dedicated your career to it?
1: I ask myself the same question daily, Tim, to be really honest with you, what what an industry to fall into. And I think it's one of those things that does and hopefully is uh, evolving that people are not falling into the event industry. My background is sales. Through and through, I've been selling since I got given and made a shop by my granddad when I was three years old. So I've started as a shopkeeper. I wanted to work in a shoe shop. That was clearly very ambitious of me, but I did really want to do that. Uh, my father ran his own business, so sales are in the very heartblood of everything I do. I fell into the event sector when I lived in Hong Kong, and I started working for a publishing company, who were seconded to an association to help organise some of their events, of which they hadn't done. And it's just that typical, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are female. That female thing that's like, you know, what? We're just, we'll, we'll figure this out and crack on. We've got a job to do, and we did, and produced a golf day. Uh, charity fundraiser and um, you know what being in the event industry as we all know any organizers it was great fun it was really hard work but if you've got this dna which i think if you said to people outside sort of the event community if we call it the community of, of event professionals i think we are incredibly social creatures we are self-servers we like to problem solve we like to fix we like to plan and we like to produce stuff that other people get a big kick out of so Having fallen into that, that to me was the most important thing. And we've obviously known each other for a few years. Um, When I moved into working in these large venues, my passion and my education was coming from MPI. I wanted to be able to educate myself so I could have those C-suite conversations about objectives around meetings so that we could actually fulfill the brief better in these venues rather than saying to a client, we've got natural daylight and point to a window. We started becoming a lot more of a solutions focus across the the venues and with the teams I worked with to make sure that we really understood the values of the organisations coming in. Understanding what they wanted to achieve. We'd ask those big questions. And I have to be honest with you, quite a lot of the time we got pushed back in, in those days. And that's a post COVID thing. You know, when we were saying, What are your core objectives? What are the learning outcomes? What are the behavior changes you want to create from bringing these people to our venue? We often got, you know, poo pooed. Well, we don't know. We just need a budget and availability. But, you know, I'm a tenacious little person. So, you know, we carried on. You know, I worked hard as a volunteer in MPI. Meeting Professionals International, but I, I built that network. And it's, it's served me ever since. You know, I, I've always said, I know, really, I don't know anything. I don't know why I'm on your podcast, to be honest with you. But I know a lot of people who do know a lot of stuff. So I'm very blessed in that respect. And I think that's probably one of the pillars and, or strings to why conference MCs is going to be quite successful because I don't know it, but I'm also – pretty confident that incredible community i am fortunate to be part of does and so connecting is is that thing with that
0: well i think you're being perhaps overly modest but we'll give you that i've seen you in action and you bring so much to the mc role and the event design role and i think that the the thing about events i love is that that choice for the ballroom to have natural daylight is an important choice. So is the choice of what to have for lunch, but so is the deeper questions that you are asking around objective and outcome and impact on business, and that it's kind of all important. And I still love all of the different aspects, you know, Um, and I think any of of those,
1: those two don't have to be separated as well. And I think we silo because the food, for example, as you said, super important, but super important in the design of the meeting, because what are you fueling your participants with in order for them to you know, have that energy to either be workshopping? I mean, there's nothing worse than having, you know, from I'm a foodie, you know, a big stodgy lunch. And then you want me to be in an interactive workshop in the afternoon or you have an end of the day workshop. And this is one of my particular favorites at the moment where the drinks are being served After you expect me to do some interactivity at 4.30 in the afternoon, it's like, oh, why don't we serve the drinks in the session and create some interactivity now? You know, I I think that's where the world is moving to now, post-COVID, that people are really, you know, the conversations are coming out now around the whole design experience. And that's exciting.
0: Yeah, fully, fully agreed. I want to go back to a few interesting threads that, and just to get your comments on them. One is the relationship between sales and meetings events because it strikes me as you were telling your story that they both have a clear outcome sale or no sale applause or no applause like when the thing about an event is you can tell whether it was effective and it's very complete like when the show is done it's done and gone forever and in sales it's similar it's like happy customer sale or not happy customer, no sale. What relationship do you see between events and sales?
1: They're both about people. Everything around it is people centric. There's utter correlation with relationship building. And interesting, you say about events sort of having an end. I think now that the strategy seems to be that people don't want, you know, the trend is moving in the direction of let's not create an event that then everyone just forgets about after they walk out of the, the Congress Center. What's the 365 experience we can work with our uh, stakeholders on um, where events play a part of that? And I think there's a lot of conversations having just been hosting an event for event agencies that, that seems to be sort of a little bit of a trend at the moment where people are looking for that sort of, you know, that brand storytelling piece to come throughout the whole year. And I think that's the relationship sales people have. And I think there's still a gap. I think that if you go to most hotels, and, and again, it's around training and education. My sales experience came from outside of the sector. So I was I was a salesperson and I was a recruitment consultant um, sort of before jumping into venues. But for me, it's about developing those relationships. And it's it's about you know, having having the use to be helpful. And again, I think that's where events come in, that we like to help, we like to enable and support. So yeah, I think sales and event sales and uh, are very nicely married together.
0: I love this image that it's almost like we want repeat customers, right? So you come to our event and my first experience is, As an event designer, we're all around creating sales events, actually, so that's kind of interesting. And you would always want them, just as you're saying, like you want the payoff is that they buy into the product or the message or the strategy because they attended the event. The event fuels them with motivation for months to come to go out on the road and do the selling Uh, So I love the way you frame that. So, yes, the curtain closes at the end and there's the applause and everybody leaves. But we as event designers should not be thinking in terms of, okay, job done. It's like, well, no, we should have launched something that will now continue. And maybe there's additional touch points with that audience or you're you're, I I love your use of the word community. And I know we'll come back to that later when we get more into the details of uh, conference MCs. You're in this event industry You understand venues, you understand planning, you understand objectives, you understand making it all fantastic, but the stage is calling somehow. Tell us about the transition to, hey, I want to be an MC. I want to be a facilitator, I want to be a moderator, I want to be a speaker. What was that like for you?
1: So I don't. There you go. That's going to be the shock headline. I don't want to be a speaker. Um, I didn't want to be on the stage. I had to have therapy to go down the aisle when I got married because I knew people were looking at me, and I had to not wear my glasses because I couldn't bear the idea of seeing people staring at me. So I think I'm just like a weird phenomenon. It's all your fault, basically. So I had been in my role as an MPI president, facilitating meetings, um, so board meetings, and just doing that, you know, as a as a head of sales. Facilitating, you know, our sales conferences, all these bits and pieces, but I didn't know it was a thing. I just did it, and I did it for a very long time. And then suddenly, with my association events, is like, well, Sam, you need to go up because you're the president, so you need to sort of run the whole thing. And you know, we had no money in the association, so of course, you know, well, I'll moderate the conversation with the panel that we picked for this association event. I then started doing it because, of course. People ask busy people and busy people always say yes. So other industry associations like, Sam, can you come and moderate this panel discussion? And I did, and I loved it. And where I feel like I, the stage didn't call me or hasn't called me is that I see myself as useful as the microphone on a stage. You cannot run an event on stage without that microphone but i'm the conduit to whatever that success of that event is going to be so it's not me that is on stage it is me as the extension to the audience enabling them to have a voice and enabling them to get the the best out of whatever that event is and i feel very responsible as that person who just happens to be on that stage. And likewise with the content, whether that's a, an interview with a president, whether it's a panel discussion, whether it's a workshop, um, working with those speakers and those content providers to get the best out of them in order to maximize those objectives. If you said to me, you're on a stage, I don't think I'd get up there. And um, it's this weirded introvert, extrovert type character But where I do know, and this is where I think, you know, professionals who who do what we do is it's what it feels like afterwards. And that's why I know I was born to do this as a job. It's that feeling that when the show has, you know, that part of the the experience has come to an end and there's not a high to my knowledge like that to know that in some part where we work a lot, both of us in the healthcare world, you know, that what our our small contribution could be making quite a substantial difference to the lives of people around the world. Come on, that's that's a nice reason to get up and, and go to work in the morning, right? You said, Sam, go in, um and I'm being pushed a little bit more to do things like this. Um, uh, my coach is trying to push me to go and, and speak. I have got a session, so I might need some coaching from you. Um, at a conference for a, a good friend of mine, she's asked me if I'll do a piece because I'm passionate, as you know, about engagement. But I'm petrified because that's where the spotlight is on me. And I just don't see it as, a, as the role of a moderator. And you've seen them. I've seen them. People who come on and facilitate, who want to sell their book or want to promote their keynote, and that's not right, and that's not the profession of, you know, and the skill set that a moderator has. You need to be almost the one in the room, I believe, who nobody knows the name. I mean, they know me as, you know, the girl with the red lipstick or the girl with the red jacket who knows everything about the events happening. And to me, not great for business development folks, but it is great because that's the role I feel that a moderator should be playing it. If I become more famous or more important than the people on stage or the people sitting in the audience then it's you're in the wrong profession you shouldn't be doing
0: it in my book i think it's beautifully described and that that your word conduit and the the notion that you're creating connections between the people on the stage and the people in the audience or among the people in the workshop and that you're you're almost doing your job best when in a sense you disappear and but without you the conversation wouldn't be happening and asking those great questions, knowing when to switch the energy from one, one kind of level to another, when to get the quiet person to engage, when to get the person doing all the talking to pause and to let others get involved. And if you're doing it at a very high level, you are kind of unnoticed. It's a really fascinating point. Unlike a keynote speaker who, you know, if we hire, Malcolm Gladwell to come and give a keynote and we don't even know he was there, we're not gonna be too happy. But for the facilitator who was moderating the discussion between the speaker and the audience, it's almost like the required mindset to not show off.
1: And I think that's probably the hardest thing. And when I was thinking about what's the message that we should be talking about in terms of the audience listening to this podcast, is that very thing. It's so hard to quantify because as you said, a keynote is there to make a great big bang, That's why it's called a keynote, folks. It should be at the beginning because that's where you put your keynote in any piece of music. Um, But what we do is we provide this amazing thread that if we weren't there, the experience of both the content provider and the participant would lessen. And, you know, if you look at our client bases who work with us on a regular basis, they don't go back. Once you've made that commitment, once you've made that decision to work with a professional host, people do not go back. I, I can't stress it strongly enough. I mean, that's why I've managed the transition across to conference MCs because my clients don't ever not want to have a host because they've seen once that person's been there, they've seen that true value. But it's very hard to quantify because it's not We're not shiny bells and whistles, but as you said, facilitating that conversation, making sure every single person in that room feels that they are participating. You know, those are those soft skill sets that, you know, any true professional can have.
0: Especially, and I think in healthcare, where often the expert has very deep technical knowledge and sophisticated language that needs to be converted or translated into something without dumbing it down at all, translate it into a language that the audience will understand. And I think a, a facilitator, an MC, a moderator, it's one of the the jobs. It's to somehow, in the way you frame a question, in the way you ask the question, you send signals to the expert that say, hey. Let's change the way you would normally tell this story. Don't give us don't don't act like everyone else in the room is your peer. And, you know, you can speak in your short language and your your acronyms. How do you see that part of the role where you're listening to the story, you're listening to the information in a way that you're making sure that that conduit is as strong as possible? How do you conceptualize that?
1: We still have a battle with clients who say we need a subject matter expert to facilitate our conference and there are scenarios where I am absolutely in agreement with them but I would say there are more scenarios where they need somebody in that role as you've just said it so beautifully can act and as almost like the layperson. person you know there are people going to be in the room you know that one person who is a student or is new to that particular healthcare community we need to make sure that we can Create that communication that's coming from that that incredible professor or scientist, and make sure that that is accessible to that layperson. And being the non-subject matter expert in the room, or the layperson, as I sometimes humbly call myself, we can create that conversation um, and create that fluidity. And as I said, be that conduit to that person who who doesn't want to ask what perhaps that acronym was or. When that professor has talked about something that's happened in the past that we will dig a little bit deeper, can you explain can you can you give us can you set the steep? we're storytellers, and quite often our scientists and our our professors and and other healthcare professionals aren't We're different you know we use different size of our brains um, I absolutely could not do anything in healthcare. So between us, I think that's why I think the role in, in healthcare for someone like yeah, like us is, is crucial because we bring that communication, that storytelling out of, of those individuals or those panels. And it's interesting because you convinced me because I didn't ever think I could facilitate outside the event industry because I felt that that was my comfort zone. And I knew everything about events, so I knew all the acronyms of all the associations. And when you asked if I'd come and support a healthcare client, client, I mean, I was petrified. I said, I know nothing about, you know, this particular disease, except it was a bad disease, as most diseases are. And it was you that said, we need you to facilitate the interaction and get these people to talk and communicate better in order to talk more about their specialism, which is in healthcare. And that, that day is, is etched in my memory because I don't know any acronyms about this disease. And you're like, you don't need to. And, and that now, I mean, I, I say this to clients when we're talking and educating, like, you know, we need the people who can get the best out of your people. And that, to me, is is the role of that professional facilitator. But the key part of that is to be able to listen and understand and listen with compassion. Um, and that's a
0: skill set. It's not easy. And listen with presence. It requires almost like athleticism. You know, it it burns a lot of calories. Like I, I could either go for a run or I could moderate a two-hour panel discussion. I want to help people understand what a great facilitator, moderator does to prepare. So let's go back, and we'll use this as a, a transition into COVID. So let's go back to pre-COVID, your best gig in late 2019, and you are in the preparation zone. You're getting ready. The job is tomorrow, That the show is tomorrow, whatever, the workshop, and you are getting yourself prepped. What are the the habits and the rituals that you developed in order to arrive, maybe not on stage in your conceptualization of it, but arrive in the moment to do the job and you know you're going to nail it or you're ready to nail it? What were the secrets to the success?
1: Well, I was quarantining before it became a legal requirement. So, um, you know, I my fear of getting sick before I was with a client and going on stage led me in good stead for COVID and lockdowns. So I would spend you know, the week before really being careful about how much I was talking or shouting or being out with friends or family to the detriment a little bit, I think. But physically, as you said, physically preparing, so eating really well. Filling myself with good green vegetables because on site inherently you don't seem to see a green vegetable for the time you're there. Staying fit, be building up to make sure that I was feeling fit, getting some great sleep because we know, as all event professionals know, thing on site that's going to be lacking. Also, you've got to contend with things like jet lag. So you it, you do train you know, somewhat like an athlete for the event. No alcohol. I really enjoy a glass of wine, but that would go out of the window because... The fact that for eight hours of the conference plus the two, three hours before and maybe an hour after, the level of being present is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. I, if, I mean, I meditate. So that's also something that really helps me uh, build my focus. And I need that because that's sort of a training that helps. And especially when we're facilitating in a, in a space that's more often than not isn't in our, you know, maybe comfort zone in terms of topic Your level of presence is is insane, and that tends to stay through because you're day one, you're, you're in, and then you're revising, you need to review, so you can't just forget the stuff that you've had in your head and you've been linking and working with, because now you've got to link that into how do I pull this into the next day? And what are the messages? And in this panel discussion, we need to draw that comment from that professor, because that was quite important leading into that topic. So yes, you get some sleep, but then that second day is as intense as that first day. So you have to not do anything the next day. I mean, that's that was also again in those days of not just traveling. I mean, emotionally, I would really struggle after a conference. You know, I really if someone had invited me to a group setting or a party, I couldn't have gone because I was just so consumed. You have to bring yourself down. People do this on stage, as you were you were alluding to. So if you go and see a, a musical and then you go backstage after a musical, they don't just pack a bag and go home. They're an hour warming back down their voices. They are calming themselves down. There's probably some meditation going on just to bring yourself back into the normal. So, yeah, it's
0: intense. The keynote speaker that's kind of like a sprint, right? You also have to go through quite a workup and a preparation, and but it's like a sprint. Moderation, facilitation is like a marathon. I mean, you might be two eight-hour days, three eight-hour days I've done, and my physical preparation, I'm realizing, listening to you, I'm like, I do know, okay, can't be sick, I uh, need to be in shape. I think I should have started my workup about four days earlier than uh, than I was. <laughs> Based on what you're saying, it makes so much sense. So, bird's eye view, the the lights are on, the microphone's in your hand, the people are in the room. And a really difficult question gets asked. You're not entirely sure you understand it, but what you do sense is a, it's complex. B, it's controversial. And everyone's waiting for the pivot. Like what's that like? I'm just going to read from from your uh, from your bio. Her, her passion and purpose is to drive engagement in person or virtually, tackle sensitive topics empathetically. And the, here's, here's my favorite, and manage energetic debates all within pressurized time and technology sensitive environments. I read that and I think, why would anyone want to be that person? That I do it, you do it. So something. So for those who've <laughs> never been in that moment what's going on in your mind
1: i think again that clarity of focus is something that you can only get from experience and that's why you wouldn't want to put somebody in your organization in that situation i can remember that happening at that first event that we did together and there's a couple of things i mean i had allies in the room you know in terms of whether it's a workshop or a small conference or a large conference It's really important to me as a professional that I meet some of those key stakeholders prior to the event happening because they are your allies in the room. You can always reach out. So there was a tricky question that came up and I didn't allude to the fact that I knew that one of the leaders was our client, but I I managed to sort of bat that in the way that, so he was my supporter. So, you know, what's your opinion on that? Sort of taking it away from me finding an ally in the room who I know would be able to be that expert in the subject matter. I think um, asking people, am I understanding the question? I think people panic in terms of time and I think we don't, we manage time. So being that lay person, I think you can have that integrity when you're in that situation. You know, explain that to me as if I was a patient reframing it am i understanding and because i'm not the subject matter expert i can say that people will appreciate that you're not the subject matter expert so i think pick an ally ask that question to be reframed i had somebody actually tell me many years ago that i was over prepared somebody who was giving me some mentorship so far my clients have never said that and I think one of those questions that I would be asking of those stakeholders, not necessarily the event organiser, but actually those, whether it, the leadership team, whoever it is, I make it my business to have had at least a conversation with those people and asked what are the sensitive topics what are the sensitive buzzwords is there anything that we need to avoid in this conversation that message receiving again you know you're not hiring me for the stuff i do just in that conference room for those hours you're hiring me for the experience and the knowledge of asking the right questions before to make sure that that time in that conference room is beneficial for all and i think if you're going to have a healthy debate we also have to have that what are the boundaries and have those conversations with our stakeholders so those are probably some of those tips
0: and tricks so now I want to put the COVID comes. So I'm a live event person. Laura, who's recording this with us, is a live event person. You're a live event person. I think 70% of our revenue was based on on live meetings and events. My team, we would all talk about our schedule based on cities. Uh, what are you doing in November? Oh, I'm going to be in Milan. Oh, uh, what are you doing in December? Oh, I'm doing the Miami gig. Or we would maybe reference hotels. Like it was just a life of events. Then two years ago, COVID-19 shuts the door. You have just gotten your career as the facilitator going, the MCing, going, uh, and you're making a meteoric rise, like you've really got momentum. And then boom, COVID. What was that experience like and what was the transition to virtual like?
1: You said it so well. I'd i been a year as a fully turned professional and for the first time ever moved into 2020, January 1st, 2020, with no worries because I was booked out until the end of the year and I have space to add more. And it was very, very exciting. And then yeah, in the space of three weeks, every single piece of business that I had cancelled. Being really truthful for the first couple of weeks, I drank a lot of gin and banged my head against the wall and felt extremely sorry for myself, which as you'll know, it's just that's not a trait I'm comfortable with. And it's not something I possess very often. I really felt personally, and I know that I should have been thinking about all these poor people. But for the first time, I have built and worked so hard for this moment, and it's just been taken away from me. And so that didn't last very long, because um, that's just not my DNA. And that power of that network came into play. So a very good friend of ours, Martin Benest, pinged me a message, knew obviously that I'd lost everything. And for those of you who don't know Martin, he is the guru of meeting design and has been a guru of online way before the pandemic, as we know. And we've played in that sandbox, haven't we? And he said, come and join. I'm I'm running an online event design course. Come and do that. And that was the moment for me so i was very lucky that I came in early because i didn't believe in online events i absolutely knew that they probably were going to be here for a while i wasn't convinced like many others that a couple of months later we'd be good when you see some of the corporates who were already saying in april that there's no opportunity to travel until next year so i i did enough study to understand but what i didn't understand is how you could make effective meetings online because i didn't have the belief so i went on this course he told me it was three hour sessions. I'm like, I am not staying online for three hours. I've got the attention span of a gnat. That's why I do my job. But he convinced me through this training. So I was engaged. I learned. I made friends so that I built relationships. I did business. And from that, that gave me the courage and the confidence to talk to my clients and say, look, come on, I think we can do this. Let's, you know, let me keep the deposit and let me work with you and we'll figure this all out. And we did. And, you know, I'm really proud of myself because I invoiced from May. So it was two months where we didn't invoice. I know we weren't invoicing to the same levels as we were for in-person, but, you know, I didn't have a choice, Tim. It was it was survive or die. It was nothing else I could do um, in the industry we were in. And I started investing in tech for home. I mean, who knew I'd know about microphones and, you know, lighting and green screens. And I went out and I asked my network, you know, to practice. So we ran an MPI event and I hosted that online. And, I share some photographs with people if they want to see, you know, I was using the the clothes horse to put the laptop on. The green screen was pegged to the curtain rail of the bedroom and it was 30 degrees in the UK and I'm dying because I can't have a fan on. But it worked. And then from there, you know, my reputation, people knew I knew what I was talking about. And I learned by numbers. I learned by seeing what went wrong taking that on board, working with incredible people in the back room in terms of tech and production. And um, I ended up having the most successful year in terms of profit because I wasn't traveling. I wasn't spending money. I wasn't having to leave gaps between jobs like I did because of jet lag or sheer exhaustion. It was a different type of intensity. And so, yeah, for me, that was crazy 2020.
0: Congratulations! I mean that's amazing. Pivot and then elevation. Wonderful. Want to talk now about conferencemc's.com. You have all these live event professionals around the world. None of us would be in the live event business if we didn't love live events. So, I'm with you. I mean the idea of virtual to me, Pope pre, you know, 2019, someone would have said, Hey, do you want to be a virtual meeting facilitator? I'd be like, No. My raison d'être is to be live. So the whole industry gets hit. And I think at the same time, our consciousness about the climate, we finally get it. Oh, there's a serious problem here. And getting on airplanes and flying around the world is not necessarily sustainable. Connect the dots for us. Where does the genesis of conference MCs come from?
1: So on August the 1st, 2020, my goddaughter was born. That changed a whole load of my world because I take this position of being her godparent extremely seriously. And I have also two nephews and I had a niece born the same year as well. And I just looked at her and I just thought, I can't do what I did and consciously be a godparent and guide her in the right way, destroying her planet. Ultimately, whatever my legacy is now, suddenly my mindset changed. It's like I mean, I was very passionate as you know about sustainability before this, but it was something that really honed into my heart and Therefore, I can't, you know, in 2019, I traveled 40,000 miles for four jobs. It doesn't make sense on the planet, but also, you know, economies of scale. There's only one of me. I can't grow this business any further. The second pillar, the second reason behind, you know, this movement into competencies was around the sustainability piece, because I also don't want to travel like I did. I missed out on big family stuff. I missed out on spending time with friends. And I sadly lost my dad in 2021 as I tried to launch a new business. And that was a big trigger for me that actually I missed out on the time I could have spent with my dad had I not lived this lifestyle. And it didn't serve me as well as this, this new life could. So those were two things around sustainability. So it's not just about the carbon, it's about life and well-being. The second thing is diversity. I was traveling like you to a lot of conferences and seeing the same person facilitating on a stage. And that person was a male and he had gray hair. And I feel very strongly back down to meeting design that that's something that's really integral. And again, DE&I has come really front and the centre of the corporate agenda now. And, and to me, that's been huge. Women, as you know, are very good at this role. We can use um, our flexibility if we are mothers. We can work with anybody in terms of disabilities and accessibility if, you know, we are very conscious of conference entities, of and making sure we ask for that information so that we can match And being as inclusive as we can. And then the last thing is experience, as we've just been talking to for most of the podcast, is that, you know, this is a difficult job. It's gotten more difficult. We aren't, you know, sorry, folks, you may be wanting to all meet back in a room solely this year. That is going to shift again. Yes, we all want to be back in a room, and it's been wonderful working uh, with my client this week. But sustainability and legislation is going to change that way. It just is. And we have to be agile, Again, having these true experienced professionals who can pivot straight away into digital, who can jump into a studio, who can support your stakeholders in whichever environment we need to be in. To me, those three pillars just made sense. And um, yeah, we went live in January. We uh, Yeah, so I was three months old and we have nearly 40 associates from San Francisco to Sydney, which I'm stoked about. And the whole thing around the associate side, these are brilliant brilliant hosts guys they are so good and you probably work with some of them but they want to be part of conference MCs because they want to be part of a community we are your forgotten ones tim you know we've got lots of speaker bureaus out there who also hire moderators. We've got the national speaker associations with moderator subgroups, but there isn't a community for us where we can go and we can get better. We can share best practice. We can get innovation. We can get support. And that feeling at the end of the show, when we do feel low and the event management company all go back to their office together and we go home on our own. Those sort of things. And I I truly didn't realize that would be a big success in such a short space of time that these brilliant people around the world want that community. It's not just about getting more business that we will win for them. It's actually more important that they get better at what they do. They can talk to like-minded people about it. There's a support network there. And that's what I'm really excited about.
0: So the idea, so I'm the client. I have a need. Instead of saying, hey, Sam, can you do my gig? I say, hey, conference MCs, can you do my gig? And now instead of my choice of either Sam or Sam or Sam, my choice is, well, maybe 40 different individuals. And is the idea then as well uh, local? So the... The MC from Paris is not flying to London while the London MC is flying to Paris. It's like, oh, why don't we both stay in our local city? Is that part of the idea there?
1: Yeah. So, number one, so the pain point is if you, you see it on many of these social media channels, we're looking for a moderator and then they get 85 recommendations. And how do you know that person's experience? I couldn't host, so I probably give it a go but i would not be the best host for an awards ceremony it's not my skill set but someone might recommend because they've seen me work at a conference and say i'm great and i think again sort of honing into the the actual quality experience that you need as an organizer so number one one point of contact we find those people for you number two we have a clever little search engine being built so people can you know really hone down on geographical location language type of event experience budget which obviously is quite important and whilst we're not saying hosts will not travel if you know if tim's in zurich you know he's not going to travel what we want to do is aim to be part of the solution we will have that same quality and caliber host for you without that carbon footprint now There'll be times when we travel, but we're measuring all of that now. Um, All of our hosts, our associates, when they onboard, they are also committing to become carbon neutral. And it's a question we ask. We will not invite anyone to our community if that is something that they're not committed to.
0: It sounds so amazing. I think you're ahead of the curve on this whole concept. As soon as I heard about it, I thought, that's just genius. And I'm sure everyone listening has been inspired by what you've done. Our podcast is called Message Received. What's your final message for our audience? If you had one takeaway from this discussion, what do you hope people will take away?
1: I would really love people to have listened to this time that we've been speaking and understand A, the value that a person, a moderator, an MC, a host, a facilitator can truly bring. And so if people have been thinking, well, you know, we've been working with our sales director and he loves people, I really hope that one message has come across that, we can truly elevate the experience for the participant. We can really, truly make sure that that behavior change happens and that this role in a few years time will be as important to an organizer as uh, the keynote speaker.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining us and uh, we'll see you real soon.
1: Thanks, Tim. Thanks everybody,
0: take care. Thank you for listening to Message Received. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please watch out for the next one in this series, Systems, Deep Content and Leadership with Sandra Mayer.